DW Africa Link What are the latest news from Africa and beyond? That is what you are going to find out right now. Welcome to Africa Link from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. My name is Zoya Fröhlich. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. You can listen to us through our partner stations around the world. And of course, live on our Facebook page, that's DW Africa. Leave us a message there. Coming up on the program, Kenya's parliament has approved the proposed deployment of its police to Haiti, despite ongoing court challenges. With parliament having approved it now, I believe that it gives it a, a bit of approval which should meet a constitutional threshold. Also on the show, young African leaders are converging in Cameroon to discuss the funding for climate action. If we have drought, it's extreme. If we have rain, it's also on the extreme side. So on the flooding side, our houses, most of them are temporary. So they end up being swept. The details coming up after the World News in Brief. DW News. I'm Crispin Mwakidea with DW Africa Link News. The United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Tuk, said there have been extremely serious allegations of multiple and profound breaches of international humanitarian law in the Israel-Hamas war. Tuk made the remarks as Israel's raid of Gaza's largest hospital, Al-Shifa, continued for a second day. DW correspondent Tanya Kramer joins us from Jerusalem, where she reports about the rising humanitarian toll of the war. The Gaza Strip is a very narrow place. I mean, it's called the Gaza Strip, and there's not much space. So people have been moving uh, about an estimated number of 1.5 million people out of the 2.2 million people approximately that live in the Gaza Strip. They are on the move. They have been displaced from the north uh, to the south. Some people are still also in the north. And uh, there's simply no space for them uh, to move around. And we've seen already that the humanitarian situation also in the south is very difficult with uh, the basic necessities that are barely available for them. U.S. President Joe Biden is hosting Asian Pacific leaders at a global forum in San Francisco. It's the first time since 2011 that the 21-member Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum is taking place in the United States. The meeting comes after Biden held talks with Chinese President Xi Jinping against the backdrop of economic and military tensions with China. The APEC conference will address, among other issues, the global turmoil from the wars in Israel and Ukraine. A Russian court on Thursday found artist and musician Alexandra Skochilenko guilty of knowingly spreading fake news about the Russia's army behavior in Ukraine. The court sentenced Skochilenko to seven years in a prison colony. The 33-year-old replaced price tags in a supermarket in her native St. Petersburg with small pieces of paper, urging an end to Russia's war in Ukraine and criticizing the authorities. You're listening to DW Africa Link News from Bonn, Germany. South Africa has referred Israel to the International Criminal Court over its actions in the Israel-Hamas war in Gaza. Tuzokumalo reports from Johannesburg. Speaking to the media in Doha during the state visit to Qatar, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa accused Israel of targeting hospitals and children in its ongoing bombardment of Gaza. We believe that war crimes are being committed there. We condemn the actions that are now currently underway and believe that they warrant investigation by the ICC. Israel denies targeting civilians and instead says 
Hamas militants are using hospitals as command centers. And finally, the Kenyan parliament on Thursday approved the deployment of 1,000 police officers to Haiti to help deal with rising gang violence in the Caribbean nation. The High Court in Nairobi blocked the planned deployment in October. But Kenya insists it would only deploy the officers to Haiti if the UN pays for funding and equipment. Gangs across Haiti have continued to grow more powerful since the July 2021 assassination of President Jovenel Moise. For more news and information, visit dw.com. I'm Crispin Mwakideo. Thank you, Crispin Mwakideo, for the news. Thank you guys for tuning in to the program. This is DW's Africa Link with me, Eddie Micah Jr. And I'm Zaya Fröhlich. Welcome to you on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We welcome your comments on the stories we're covering. And there's David Nchamba saying hello. And Juje, one way listening from Liberia. Mm-hmm. And we are starting with the top story of the day. Kenyan lawmakers today approved the government's plan to deploy its police to lead a UN-backed multinational mission to Haiti to restore peace and security to the gang-plagued Caribbean nation. Yeah, The UN Security Council gave the go-ahead. That was in early October for the Kenya-led mission to help the overwhelmed Haitian police battle rampant gang violence. But Kenya's involvement has been criticized at home and the government is currently barred from deploying any police to Haiti due to an ongoing court challenge to its plans. So what are Kenyans on the ground saying? We are sending our police officers. Our police officers, they're trained to handle things such as mandamano, riots, you see. But in Haiti, Haiti is a gang-related country. You just can't put our police officers there. Even if you get the funding from whatever bodies they say, UN. Yes, you get the funding from UN, but can't they UN for skipping force go there? If we do manage, that will put us on a limelight, right? But do we, why, why do we prefer the funding than the blood being shed? Yes, we know our economy is bad and all, but why do we have to sacrifice our own just for the money. We are not the only country obligated. I don't think the guns that we are going to face in Haiti are the same guns that we, that we have in Kenya. Like we don't even have the proper training or the experience dealing with highly militarized guns. It is closer to the US than it's closer to Kenya. So it's a purely government interest, a government that is looking for handouts from the American government, so they'll do the dirty work for the American government. Those were the voices of some Kenyans telling us what they think of the approval. Yeah, now what raises questions now, though, Zilia, is that the Nairobi High Court is currently considering a petition brought by opposition politician Ikuru Okut, who argued that the mission was unconstitutional as it was not backed by any law or treaty. The government has said it is ready to provide up to 1,000 personnel and vowed that preparations for the mission will continue despite the court challenge. Mm-hmm. Ahead of the latest hearing, Okud criticised Parliament for proceeding with the vote, accusing lawmakers of disobeying the court order. But are they? Can the government actually proceed with the deployment despite the ongoing court challenges? Mm-hmm. This is what I asked political expert and lawyer Martin Olo. We've seen that the government has tried to do two things. One, to commit itself to international partners that it can partner with them on matters of security in Haiti. So that's a commitment government has made. 
But the second bit is that government has gone to parliament to seek parliament's approval for parliament to allow government to deploy security. But there is also a court, uh, ongoing court process that the government is aware of. But I think to me, the two issues are very important. One, that the government has committed itself to the international community, but also it has sought the uh, authority of parliament. I think with the authority of parliament, which has now been given, there should be fewer challenges to government's action. Indeed, the courts may as well agree that with the parliament's approval, uh, the matter is now out of their own hands. So are you basically saying the government is overwriting the law? Because from what I understand, the deployment of police right now would be unconstitutional. I, I believe that if we did not have this second step of getting parliament's approval, then that would have been something to support uh, that position. But with parliament having approved it now, I believe that it gives it um, a bit of approval which should meet a constitutional threshold. The other argument was whether the National Police Service was um, the kind of uh, security service that was uh, contemplated in the Constitution. And I think that's an argument that can go either way. What is important here is that the executive hasn't acted on their own. They have at least sought the approval of the legislature. And I think that's a very important political and constitutional step. What we are dealing with here is to test the executive's uh, resolve and perhaps actions. And to the extent that there are checks that are now being applied by the uh, National Assembly, then that's an important uh, step. So anybody arguing otherwise should find it difficult. The opposition claimed the deployment did not include public participation and was also unconstitutional because only the army can be deployed abroad and not the police. How strong would you say are these arguments against the deployment? I don't think that uh, that issue of the military alone being that arm is as critical. Uh, I think that when you look at the security services in general, Uh, it includes the police. And this is not the first time that Kenya has committed uh, uh, security uh, services to the you know, uh, international uh, courses. We've sent police to various peacekeeping missions in the past and that this is not an exception. So I really don't think that's a great point. Uh, what is critical is that there is an attempt to at least seek the parliament's approval. And to me, that's more important than anything else. Thank you, Martinolo, for this. And um, Eddie, mm. I think this is a very spicy debate also on our page. Right? It is indeed. A lot of people are making their voices heard. Let's start with this comment from Favor Bless. Says, it's good to help out, but has Kenya been able to protect herself before thinking of helping other countries? Hmm. George Murewa is saying they should give their job to Zimbabwean police and the dollars, they will do a good job. Oh, this one, I'm not too well. sure what that means, but <laughs> very well noted, George Murewa. Now, Juma Kabuto. So Abdallah says our president is still new and naive. That is why he's agreed to the deal. Hmm. Ramjidi Rounda Ukafu is saying security situation in Kenya is a problem. It is chaos in Rift Valley, coastal city, eastern and northeastern regions. So Tengbe is simply saying misplaced priority. Mm -hmm. And um, Ikona Rogers is saying thanks Kenya for help what, others, what other countries can't. Kenya is the best country in terms of security. Okay. Okay. Okay.
These are uh, some of your comments. Uh, keep them coming through on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Now, let's move to Africa's West, where some 150 young leaders from across the continent are converging on the Cameroonian capital, Yaoundé, this Thursday. Now, it's for a historic moment for youth engagement on climate action. The inaugural Youth Forum on Adaptation Finance in Africa, YOFAFA 2023 for short. Mm-hmm. During the two-day conference in prelude to the 28th UN Climate Change Conference COP28, mm-hmm. the young people will discuss and advocate for increased funding for climate resilience with a call on the international community to commit to more than doubling adaptations finance in Africa, according to organizers. Kilian Ngala has more on this. We have to hear those at the What do we want? Climate finance. Financing adaptation projects in Africa has become a major priority for Africa's youth. And that priority is based on the devastation climate change is causing on the continent and for which people must adapt in order to survive. Kenyan climate activist Shampi Anna paints a disturbing picture of what a changing climate has done to her community. We have had six failed rainy seasons, and this means that every year pastoralists have been losing their cattle, which is their means of livelihood. And even worse, from the north, they're going down into communities that are farmer, which in turn brings the interclash of these communities because they're fighting for the resources. Anytime the rain comes, I don't know for some reason, it comes so heavy and it's always flooding. So if we have drought, it's extreme. If we have rain, it's also on the extreme side. So on the flooding side, our houses, most of them are temporary. So they end up being swept. She says there is a need to come up with projects to enable communities to adapt. In Cameroon, Mbongkimbi of the African Coalition for Sustainable Energy and Access has been working with farming communities to adapt to the realities of unpredictable rains and deteriorating soils. We teach farmers how to produce their own biofertilizer and biospray, use them correctly on their farms, follow up, because biofertilizer has many chemicals that will help the soil and consequently help their crops. The result last year was very good for the, the pilot phase of the program. We're going to go into the next phase, but one of the problems we have is finances. Finance seems to be at the core of adaptation projects in Africa. Jamshi Augustin is the executive director of the Africa Coalition for Sustainable Energy and Access. Following the adaptation gap report that was published a few weeks ago, the current adaptation finance gap is now estimated at 194 to 366 billion per year. He says Africa needs nearly 53 billion US dollars annually up to 2030 to deal with its climate adaptation challenges. Yet the continent received only 11.4 billion US dollars between 2019 and 2020 for that purpose, even as 11 African countries spent five times more to cope with a changing climate than they spent on health care. The youths gathered in Yaoundé says COP28 should substantially increase adaptation finance for a continent least responsible for climate change but most affected by it. 
Lingala with this report from Cameroon. You know what excites me with this? When when young people across the continent are able to come together and say, this is something that is dear to our hearts, we want to push for it, right? And, and there's so many things that come into play here. We also reported earlier within the week, or we had another climate story earlier, where African countries are the ones suffering the most from mm-hmm. climate change, mm-hmm. right? But, 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 you know, those countries that are polluting more mm-hmm. or you know the main reasons behind climate change are, are doing less yeah, right exactly. and so we really have to constantly remind them hey you you made these promises we need that sort of financial support to help us you know get on track so I, I'm, I'm really excited with this one yeah absolutely and i mean it's in the hands of the youth really right yeah. so it's it's important that the young people are coming together yeah. that they're raising their voice they're making like their demands to to the leaders yeah. out there and as our colleague Kilian Gala said um as and as you have just mentioned again yeah. like african countries are the ones to suffer most but yeah. like they actually add the least yeah. when it comes to um gas emissions great power to the people mm-hmm. let us know your thoughts on our facebook page dw africa if you just joined us this is dw's africa program and I am Eddie Micah Jr. And my name is Lea Fröhlich. Remember to connect with us on Facebook at DW Africa. Like and follow the page of course and comment on the stories we are covering. We would like to hear your opinion. Yeah. Coming up in the next few minutes, an outbreak of anthrax in Zambia has affected hundreds of people and killed others. There is already enforced restriction of movement of animal and also animal products. Our goal is to make sure that this disease does not spread even to the next district before we even start thinking of other provinces that have not been affected. Oui, okay. But uh, first, let's talk about the kwacha in Malawi, Eddie. That's the name of the currency used in the country, Mm -hmm. but there does not seem to be enough to go around due to the recent 44% devaluation of the Malawi kwacha against the US dollar. You know, uh, they they say if you want to see if someone is excited when they say anything about money, kwacha, they smile. And I saw you smile, Celia, (laughs) when you mentioned the word kwacha. Oh, wow. But unfortunately, (laughs) as you say, people in the country are not really smiling because this devaluation of the currency has triggered a rise in prices of basic commodities, including fuel and electricity. Malawians are now being forced to dig deeper into their pockets to sustain their livelihoods. Government is being asked to come up with measures that can cushion the impacts of the devaluation. Chim Wenwipadatha has more from Malawi. It is a tough pill to swallow for most Malawians, but some believe the devaluation was long overdue. The 44% devaluation of the local currency against the US dollar has triggered a rise in prices of basic commodities, including fuel and electricity. The coming in of devaluation it's like now adding problems on top of problems. The prices will increase. And uh, this has come at a situation where no one was expecting such thing to happen. Consumers Association of Malawi, Kama, has questioned the central bank's decision, calling it devastating to most consumers. Kama Executive Director Johnny Gabiro fears for the lives of Malawians due to the high cost of living. You need to protect the people. You can't just kill people for one bad decision and expect that things are going to work. Are we sure as Malawians that if we devalue and we are going to recover, these things is just going to go away? What mechanisms then have you put in place to cash on Malawians? This country is, is broke now. 
human rights bodies have called on the Malawi government to introduce incentives to cushion Malawians to protect ordinary citizens from impacts of the devaluation. Malawi Human Rights Defenders Coalition, HRDC, is worried that the devaluation will inflict severe wounds upon already suffering Malawians. Michael Gaiata is vice chairperson for the HRDC. We would have wanted government to come up with some sort of measures to control pricing. Yes, we are in a, a liberalized economy, but we are not a completely liberalized economy. And that's why you find that the government, the, when it comes to agricultural you know, produce, they come up with the prices. We wanted government to use the same approach to ensure that the prices are regulated. Economist Dr. Bechani Cheleni shares contrary views to those of consumer activists. It's long overdue. Whenever you are wrongly pricing your commodities, whatever they are, in this case being the foreign exchange, you do run into the risk of creating distortions, which are a recipe to create a, a flourishing black market. But as economists, we are saying that if we delay the favor, it would have required that we devalue by more than the 44%. On Wednesday night, Malawi President Lazarus Chawera announced strict expenditure measures after attending IMF's extended credit facility at an amount of 174 million US dollars. A season of joyful harvest will come. But that joyful harvest will only come if we put this fresh opportunity for international support coming back to Malawi to good use. This is why, effective immediately, all of my international trips between now and the end of the fiscal year, beginning with my trip to COP28 at the end of this month, are cancelled. All cabinet members currently abroad on public-funded trips must return to Malawi with immediate effect. The Malawi Kwaja was adjusted to 1,700 to the dollar from 1,180 Kwaja a second time to be devalued in 18 months. Chimwemwe Padatha has this from Malawi, and we are now being joined by our colleague Fatu Muloshi in the studio. Fatu, you are from Gambia and from Zambia, and you can tell us all about how mm. you are experiencing what's happening right now. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I- I'll go with the Gambia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Both works. But I mean, I was just talking about just the other day how we, uh, we were also just, you know, having conversations around the devaluation of the Dallasy mm. and the inflation that's happening right now and just how people are struggling to make ends meet you know everything the the hike in prices and and the money is devalued I was just talking how someone wanted to um, change into pounds Mm -hmm. you have all this money in Gambian dollars that amounts to nothing literally you have to put a lot of it together for just like a pound you know and people are working so hard to get Mm -hmm. that much but when you convert it you know to the international currency it's literally nothing so I think there's a lot that's happening in Africa right now and Every African country is just complaining about the inflation, the hike in prices, the cost of living. Yeah. I think it's the same everywhere right now. It's, it's a definitely a main challenge. What's interesting is the Gambia, you also call it Kwacha, is that it? No, no Z- Zambia, Zambia is Kwacha. Zambia Gambia is Dallasie. Yeah. Uh, is there any, anything key that you feel the government is doing try to, to try to cushion the impact on, on ordinary citizens? Well, I, I mean, I, I, right now, I can't say anything concrete mm. right now. I, what I can say is that the government is indeed aware mm. and and, um, you know, 
all the time because the people are out there and putting out their, their, their concerns. And I'm pretty sure that the government is listening. Back then, before I even came here, you know, it, it was about how to make sure that they reduce taxation and yeah. just how the central bank can come in and, and you know, deal with these microfinances mm. as well in terms of how um, they're giving, they, they're lending prices. Mm. But... People you are know, not feeling it people, in their pockets. This is it's the not, problem. Yeah. It happens at that macro level mm. or micro level. But when it comes to the everyday person yeah. that's going to the market, the everyday person digging into their pockets, mm. this is where the problem is coming in. And yeah. so the people continue to cry. Yeah. If you can relate, share your thoughts with us on our Facebook page, DW Africa. That was the very lovely Fatu Moloshi from the Gambia and Zambia. Very rich combination, <laughs> if you ask me. Thanks for sharing your your personal uh, opinion with us. Now, let's move from Malawi to Zambia. Wow, interesting. Mm-hmm. We're, going, we're going to uh, Zambia, <laughs> where you're also from. Uh, there's an outbreak, though, of anthrax that has hit six of the country's ten provinces. This has, of course, affected hundreds of people with some deaths recorded. Health authorities say the diseases contracted through eating anthrax-contaminated meat and from infected people. So it's very contagious. These are some of the ways it's spread in Zilia. Mm-hmm. Authorities are confiscating and destroying hundreds of animals and meat products that do not meet public health guidelines. Glory Mushige, tell us more from the capital, Lusaka. Health experts are going all out to sensitize the public about the dangers of anthrax. Microbiologist Hansen Mumba explains the characteristics of the disease. There is uh, cutaneous anthrax, there is uh, inhalation anthrax, there is also gastrointestinal anthrax. So when you are talking about cutaneous anthrax, this is a type of anthrax that deals with the skin. You begin to develop some kind of ulcers on the skin. And, uh, you know, this is not severe, it is not that much dangerous, but when you're talking about inhalation anthrax, this is a type of anthrax that attacks your lungs, okay? You begin to um, to have difficulties in breathing, you begin to have abdominal pain, and several other symptoms. Makoso Chikote, the Minister of Fisheries and Livestock, spoke in Parliament a few days ago about what the government was doing to contain the spread of the disease in Zambia. There is already in force restriction of movement of animal, uh, live animals, and also animal products to any other part of the country. Our goal is to make sure that this disease does not spread even to the next district before we even start thinking of other provinces that have not been affected. Health Minister Sylvia Masevo also told the local media recently that additional measures including early detection, community engagement and ongoing monitoring and clinical evaluation of discharged patients as well as supply of equipment and medicines are needed. The disease whose symptoms include severe skin sores or ulcers, nausea, vomiting and fever has caused a big scare among residents. Some people have even decided to steer clear of meat until it is declared safe. Lusaka-based chef Annie Vakasa and her family are some of those. I personally love to eat meat, but for the safety of my family and my community, I've just decided to completely stop for now. Some residents now prefer to go to eat in places where only fish and or chicken is served. Davis Kalaluka, a music artist in Lusaka who also owns a chicken shawarma cafe, attests to this. 
chicken is actually selling much more than before because other people have just completely decided to avoid beef altogether. As a result, a number of meat business owners have had to suspend operations until further notice. Well, I guess you have to be careful of what kind of beef you eat, right? Mm -hmm. That was Gloria Moshenge with the report. Mm -hmm. And uh, one more story of the day is that the International Monetary Fund has agreed to grant a $938 million loan to Kenya, which is grappling with high inflation and massive public debt. Kenya is facing a host of challenges, including depleted government coffers and a plunging currency. Yeah, so we asked the question, to what extent do you think the loan will help Kenyans who are hard hit by high prices? Today we've been talking a lot about inflation and the mm-hmm. challenges people are facing on the ground. Now, Smith Klein Beckham says, uh, life's going to be tough ahead for sure. Mm-hmm. Grenier Lazo is saying, getting loans from the West or East isn't the only way to deal with Africa's debt problems. We need African solutions or we'll forever be tied to high interest rates and never-ending cycles of dependency. When we will be able to stand tall as... Oh, when will we be able yeah. to stand tall as Africans? Well, that's uh, that answer only time will tell. Adichega Bialogo says, African countries and the IMF are inseparable. We need to avoid the loans, suffer and learn how to depend on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Testimony Vranches Keleshi is saying, we need African helping African nations. Let there be free visa entry to all Africa. One politician in Nigeria can give Kenya that money. Okay. <laughs> Who that is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Nabak Kwame Kwisi says, I hope it is not worse than in Ghana. So since we're talking about the state of uh, economies, Ghana is obviously dealing with high inflation. It's uh, 50% is one of the highest in, uh, you know, in a long time, in decades, I should say. So um, mm-hmm. it's happening all across the continent. Do share your thoughts with us. What's the situation where you're from? Our Facebook page, DW Africa, is there to welcome your comments. Thanks a lot for sharing your time with us throughout the whole week. It's been a pleasure. Me and Zilia here. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Also, thank you for to you, Eddie, for yeah. being a wonderful co-host. And um, yeah, we do this again soon. We I'm Zilia Fulich. I am Eddie Michael Jr. DW. Mid for Minds.